Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Dust Magazine. Today on the show is the return of Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated Magazine to talk about the sports media world. We talk about the start of the English Premier League and NBC's coverage, including their new paid app. We also talk about the athletic uh, paid subscription site, their success so far, and their future. We talk about uh, what Disney is going to do with ESPN and their new over-the-top apps. And to close out, we have some brief wrestling chat. We hope to, in the next week or two, have some international guests to talk about the start of the Premier League. Unfortunately, we were not able to get them scheduled in time. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. back to the Werner Palace. Even though it's the dog days of August, there is always something to talk about in the world of the sports media. And to chat about that and other things, we welcome back to the pod Richard Deitch from Sports Illustrated. How's it going, Richard? Uh, I First of all, Mark, always appreciate the invite. And uh, given that it's uh, August and not a lot of sports going on, I will not take it personally that you have booked me, given that it is not a high-traffic time for you. Well, as uh, it's actually a big day, uh, depending on what your interests are, as the English Premier League starts today. And, Very true. Uh, this was going to be a sort of multi-part Premier League preview, and this was going to be part of it. Unfortunately, I haven't lined up any of my other guests yet, so this will probably be a short solo pod, and hopefully we will talk to some of those people Later in the week, it's a busy time over there for them, so I really can't blame them. So, yes, yeah, so we'll start with the Premier League. And I guess the big news for us here in the States is that uh, NBC, which has done a fabulous job covering the Premier League so far, uh, now has a new app where they've put some of their games that you used to be able to watch on their Extra Time service uh, strictly on that app, and it's a pay app, and it's $50 for the season. So how do you think, uh, I, I know that was not received well when they announced it, how do you think that's going to work, and is that sort of the first blemish on the NBC coverage so far? It's a good question. I mean, I think what you have to do, and we'll see if viewers and consumers do it, is you have to separate the two uh, things. One is the production, the quality of the production of how the league um, is um, is given to you from NBC Sports, and then obviously the other part is this new paid subscription. So the production end is going to be first rate. Um, if I sort of go through the Rolodex in my head, it's very, it's honestly very hard to find a better produced sport in this country. I say this country, America, um, than what we get for the EPL. It, obviously, football at its highest level is done by Sunday Night Football is exceptional. Um, you know, the Olympics are very well done at the highest, highest level. Uh, you know, again, I would say um, ESPN's college football for their championship game, also very impressive, and I'm sure I'm missing others. But as a general rule, the production is, is unbelievable. You, you can't ask for more as a fan from the angles that you see to the quality of the broadcasters to just how they present stuff by providing every goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think the production is going to change at all, and I think NBC is going to continue to benefit from viewers who appreciate being treated like adults as viewers. They don't junk it up sometimes the way Fox does. You know, I have a lot of hot take artists on there. So it's really, really a first-rate production. 
the interesting stuff I, I was gonna say the subscription stuff is something very different and I think most consumers are gonna feel like honestly they they had if they had a cable subscription they had access to a package prior and now NBC is doing a little bit of nickel and diming to uh, recoup what was a rights increase for this last Premier League contract. Now I understand that you know a lot of these games are not going to feature the top flight clubs, and you know you're not going to miss Manchester United games, generally speaking, or Chelsea or Arsenal. But anytime you take games away from consumers uh, and then sort of ask them to pay for those games, even if they're lower level games in the league, there's going to be an outrage, and I think the outrage is correct. The funny thing about that is that, like you said, it's it's $50 for the season. So really, given how long the Premier League season is, it's, you know, $5 a month or so. And I guess if you, one, if you're a fan of a non-top 60, I mean, I'm an Everton fan, so, right. you know, I, w- I mean, I was going to get it anyway. Because I wanted to see whatever games, you know, I like having right. the option to see all the games. Yeah, well, like let's say you're a Brighton and Hove fan. It, this this package is very relevant to you. And I think, generally speaking, it's been my impression in this soccer boom that Premier League fans are generally sort of probably at the top end of the demographic scale in terms of income. And so, right. you know, I don't think this would be as bad as. You know, I mean, if it was the, you know, if it was the NFL, people would pay for it because it's the NFL. But you know, if it was sort of, I guess, a niche, like if if they did this for MLS, I don't know if MLS, it, it, you know, it, 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 yeah, it would never fly. I know what you're saying. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, the the fact is, this is a high income group, and they they have the discretionary income to um, to pay for it. I don't think that's really the question. I I think. Like can the can the quote unquote hardcore fan afford it? For sure. The 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 question is what kind of goodwill have you lost? Because um, you've really had a package here in the states, which, generally speaking, I mean fans have just loved. I realize that the viewership was down last year, but I you know I, I don't think NBC was spinning me when they said that you know there were a lot of factors, some changes in the fixtures. Uh, to midweek games, which lowered the ratings. Obviously, the craziness of the presidential election, and um, and the fact that they haven't had a you know they haven't had a race that's gone to the end of the year in a long time. If they ever get that, the numbers are going to be are going to soar because every game is going to matter when you're watching it on that final Sunday. But you know, I think if you're like you were sort of mentioning, like if you're a fan of, let's just sort of take this week as I pull this up here. You know, West Bromwich Albion or Bournemouth or Swansea City or Crystal Palace, you know, you those games are on NBC Sports Gold. They're on that package. You're not getting those over the air the way you did last year. And I think if you're a fan of those clubs in the States, admittedly, there's not, they're not going to be a ton. The, the numbers aren't going to be mass, but there are some. Um, I think you're going to be ticked off. You're probably going to buy the package, but you're not going to be happy about it. Um, so we'll see. In the end, like everything else, it will come down to what kind of revenue and what kind of money they get on this, and can they, and this is something my own business deals with, can they convince people to pay for content where previously they got that content for free, although I put free in quotes here, obviously, because you have to pay for this cable subscription. Which nicely segues into the other thing that I wanted to talk about, and that is uh, pay model sites and Patreon 
um, things and like that. Uh, we've seen the you just recently had um, the editor of the latest expansion of the Athletic in San Francisco, and Tim Kawakami was on, and so that's the Athletic's only been around for less than two years, and they've been successful enough to expand to four or five cities now. There's probably more coming. I know personally that um, there's a lot of people who are content generators that have podcasts or writers or whatever that have now set up Patreons where if you want their, their, like more of their content, I guess, it's you know $2 a month, $3 a month, or whatever. And so are all these things, I guess since more and more people are doing it, it must be successful. So uh, I guess we'll just talk about in the, the sort of sports world. The Athletic, I think, has been so far a success, but is it sustainable, do you think? Or does it just depend on them being very careful in selecting where they expand to? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot. I think, I, you know, I don't know if they're successful. I mean, they're successful enough where they exist and they've expanded. Um, some of that, or a lot of that, is obviously the funding, the initial funding that they got. You know, uh, Toronto, I believe, is at least breaking even. Maybe it's profitable now. I don't, I don't know what those numbers on the other sites are. I would think they're not at those levels yet, just because they're so new. So, it, w- what is, what has to happen here, of course, is that they need to get whatever subscription number that they have to reach in each of these market, in each of these markets, to be break even at least, if not making some money. So we're not really going to know if they're successful, I think, for another year, year and a half minimum. They have spent a lot of money on writers at this point. And so you know, they have costs baked in. There's no question about that. Um, so they're going to have to get subs. And the big question for all of this is, and I'm rooting for them to make it, and I don't know the answer to this, but this is the whole ballgame. And that is, can you convince... Uh, readers, mostly under 35 and generally probably more men than women, can you convince them to pay for a premium sports content, sports writing service where they have grown up in their entire existence of never paying for content on the web? So that's the ballgame. Now you don't need you don't need ESPN.com scale. You don't need 2 million people to do this. You probably need 10,000 people in each city. So the question is, is there 10,000 people in each of these cities who will pony up let's say $40 a year or 3 bucks a month to do it. I honestly don't know the answer to the question. I hope the answer is yes. But more importantly, I really appreciate the fact that somebody is trying to do this online because the, the business has to change to this. The business has to change to paying for content. Um, and then that gets to your other point with the podcasters. Um, you, have, you, you, you obviously, as an independent person, want to make money on your podcast. Like, uh, my podcasts go through SI. I'm not making money on them, which I'm not going to lie. It's very frustrating. So the, the possibility of having like or offering additional uh, hours and then getting paid directly for that is, you know, is, is pretty um, – is something that one would have to think about. So, yeah, I think you will see – you're going to see a lot more independent content people um, setting up the distribution where people can pay for additional content. What I honestly don't know is like how much people will pay. Um, you know, you really need to be a hardcore fan of those people, and that's probably where the more famous person probably has a better chance of obviously making money versus somebody who's not as well-known. Yeah, I think because, like, I'm an athletic subscriber mainly for Toronto, but now that, well, I think it's always been the case, where 
your subscription gets you all the other cities. Right. So it's I think that's cool. Which is good because, you know, like I'm also a Detroit fan, so that'll be good, you know, once once hockey season starts. And I'm curious to, you know, and I'll be curious to see the San Francisco coverage. But do you think do you think they'll eventually go to New York or do you think New York is there's already too much in New York for them to find a niche there? I don't think they'll go to New York. Um, I think I think there's too much content available in I live in New York in this city between um, between the newspapers and sports talk radio and the fact that New York is kind of a national city to start with. There's you know there are, there are going to be a ton of people in New York who obviously are on national sites like ESPN or SI or et cetera. Um, so no, I don't think I don't think it could work in the city because even though you're paying, let's say. Um, for some of the newspaper content you get in this city, especially if you're buying the actual hard copy, I don't see it working. I, I don't think there is... I, I think the competition around what would be the Athletic New York would be too great where the Athletic New York can, can could um, position itself as a differentiator. Now, you know, you say to yourself, All right, are there a couple of writers or something who could, like, you hire them and, and there's going to be a mass... Of people who wanna who will pay for their content, I don't think so. Um, I think it works better in smaller cities, usually dominated by one paper, where that paper is starting to reduce its staff and cut its sports space. That's that to me is the place to go after. Toronto obviously is a little bit different, but I think they saw a market in Toronto where the 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 the, the you know the desire for Leafs coverage, particularly and Jay's coverage was so great that you could expand into another publication. But, no, I don't think New York would work. I don't think Philly would work, although I hear they're trying it. Um, you know, they're in Chicago, which is a multi-sort multi of paper town, so maybe my thesis there um, is wrong. But I live in New York, and so I, I feel like I have a pretty good deal for this market. I don't think it would work here. I was going to, the, the analogy that I, I thought about this expansion is, it's almost like, in a way, the national, if they go into markets, and would they need to cherry-pick one of the famous columnists, like, out of, you know, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but, like, if they like if they were to get Lupica... He's just not going to... I mean, I understand what you're saying, but the world is different now. It's not 1989, and Mike Lupica doesn't draw newspaper sales anymore the way he would have back then pre-internet so i know what you're saying i think the way to do it is less um about um you know going after somebody in a city like new york who has a column and more about what they've done in san francisco is taking like the guy who you think owns the warriors beat which was marcus thompson um a guy who's been in the market and covers multiple things like kawakami and a well-known guy and then sort of you know filtered around that way, I, I don't. Um, I think they sh they're gonna have to try to own teams, so to speak. So to me, like a Lupica and a Mitch album type is a little less valuable than someone like Marcus Thompson, who could certainly do columns, but he kind of also has so many sources within a high-profile team. That's more valuable now, I think, for their model than um, than something else. Or you have somebody like James Myrtle in Toronto, who just has such a unique perspective and writes things that nobody else sort of writes when it comes to hockey and the Leafs, that you literally have a game-changing talent 
there. But it's not like Myrtle's going to be writing takes on like, uh, you know, like Colin Kaepernick, and you're you know you're going to pay your money to get that. You're you're really paying for the athletic if you're a Leafs fan for Myrtle's and some of the other people's takes on the team or reporting on the team, I should say. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you had said, I don't know, a little while ago when you were on, uh, when you're on Bob McCallan's show in Toronto, which you do every week, you said something to the effect of, and we're, and this is more about, you know, ESPN and rights and things like that. You said something to the effect of, you can't really be a sports fan without ESPN or something, something to that effect, which I found funny because of my and again, I'm only one person, and I know I have non-traditional interests. But like, I haven't watched ESPN in over a year because one, I don't care about hot takes, and two, um, the sports that I care about aren't really served by ESPN, and I don't care for the sports that they do. So, as someone who doesn't watch football or basketball or college and watches baseball and soccer and hockey that I really don't need ESPN. It's funny because, one, they don't have the rights for the games that I want to see. And two, as we know, if they don't have the rights for something, they generally give it short shrift. So I was, I I don't know, I guess I I would just say, you know, the majority of people need ESPN but if ESPN doesn't serve what you need, do you really need them for anything? Well, I, I, I'm not sure if I said – I don't think I said that because that doesn't seem like something I would say in terms of, you, you know, if you're – you have to be uh, – uh, you know, you can't be a sports fan without ESPN. I think what I, what I do believe, though, is that you can't watch significant events if you don't have ESPN or can't have access to ESPN. You know, there's no way you can watch the college football national championship game without them at this point, or the playoffs. So if you're a diehard college football fan, you 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 have to have access to them somehow, and that includes going to a bar or or someplace else to get that product. Um, otherwise, you certainly can be a sports fan or sports consumer without ESPN at this point. Um, you know, whether you uh, you know whether you borrow somebody's password, whether you know illegal streams, whether you are comfortable just like, you know, maybe checking out the game the next day, whether you're comfortable just getting a skinny bundle and, you know, doing it through Sling or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, the world has changed in that you don't necessarily, um, you don't need ESPN. I do think, though, that the majority of the hardcore diehard national fan is still going to have ESPN somehow. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they subscribe to cable, but I think they'll have, they'll somehow be able to get access to cable, whether it's through a family member or some other way. Like I said, yeah, because I mean, I have the I have the baseball package. I sometimes, depending on the year, get the hockey package. And like I said, I've I've gotten this new Premier League thing that he is, that NBC's doing. So it's almost like I you know pers- again, this is just me that you know there's really and you know, I can get everything online. So it's like I really don't. I think the last time, honestly, I think the last time I watched ESPN in my house was last year during the Euros. And otherwise, I couldn't, I honestly could not tell you the last time I watched, because it doesn't, it's not for me. Which is, which is weird as a big sports fan, but when your interests don't coincide with 
their interests, you know, then I don't need it, which is kind of weird. Again, the one thing I'd say to all this is that the consumer is changing and that, you know, you have 25, 20-year-olds now who just have never bought a cable subscription. They have no connection, per se, to ESPN or Fox Sports 1, etc. So we'll, we'll see what happens to them as they head forward. Inevitably, um, I think, and I'm not positive about this, obviously, of course, nobody is, but I think the big, play, the big sports networks like ESPN, FS1, NBC, SN are eventually going to be twofold in that you're going to get, you can get them direct to you, direct to consumer via a streaming service, and I think there will also still be some kind of cable subscription. The question will be, how do you for, sort of figure out what events and what programming are on each. And the big news this week is that you know Disney is going to presumably be starting their their own over the top service um, having you know bought a, a, the majority share of of MLB BAM and how that you know and where ESPN will fall into you know as part of the Disney family will you know there be an I mean, there already is an ESPN app, but will they move content to that? Will they, what will they keep on regular cable versus what will be on this app? That'll be an interesting thing to see too. Yeah, they said already that the the um, the initial content play is going to be like 10,000 hours of things that they would that would not ever get really big run on an ESPN or maybe even an ESPN too. So lower level college football games, they'll probably deal in some kind of NHL rights, um, some of the other sports, you know, maybe the, the like lower level tennis stuff. So I think that's initially what's going to go on the streaming service. So for some people, that's going to be cool. I mean, you're, if you're a diehard sports fan, you're going to want it. But you're not seeing initially early on, you know, Michigan versus Michigan State. You're not going to see Duke versus uh, North Carolina in, in college basketball. And I don't think you're certainly not going to see any NFL games. Maybe you'd see it the next day or something. But um, that's what's initially going to be. Uh, first run, and then I think they're just going to look at their findings over the first year or two to see what kind of, you know, how much money are they going to get from people for this, and then they're going to have a big question: is like if the money's not there initially, do you got to put better events on there? Uh, but then if you put better events on there, of course that hurts your cable business, and the cable business is the cash cow because you're getting seven and a half, eight bucks per subscriber for that. Uh, lastly, since I know your time is limited, um, I know you're you're a wrestling fan. Um, is there anything that's happened of late that has garnered your interest? We know you like peppering your Twitter with uh, old school references, but is there anything currently that that has you interested? Yeah, you know, I'm always. I, I mean, there's always a number. I mean, I, I actually am not the biggest fan of actually like the actual action. I mean, I certainly admire these guys as athletes. But storyline is kind of just what's fascinating to me. I'm just fascinated by, like, the writers who pull this off. It's just interesting. Um, so I'm always interested in, interested in how they can figure out what to do with Brock Lesnar, just in terms of um, how, much, how much he works, what storyline you do heading forward. I mean, for so long, sort of the storyline for him has always been the indestructible beast. He could sort of destroy everybody. Um, but, you know, you wonder, does that have a shelf life? Um, and sort of how far, how far can you go with that? I also really love the when the McMahons are involved in the storyline, and we haven't seen Stephanie McMahon for a while, and we obviously haven't seen Vince for a while. I think if I'm right, since the they sort of publicly announced the split, 
So what does pique my interest is, will we see, will we ever see Vince again? And if so, when will we see him? And then finally, and I think this is a big one just as an old school guy, I think Hulk Hogan is eventually going to return to the WWE. The question will be how they do it, and will WWE be willing to deal with the inevitable backlash that will happen in some quarters? But I do think he's going to come back, and the question will be, for me, how do you bring him back in storyline? That's, uh, that's going to be pretty interesting. There are a lot of things that I think don't work that they do. I think I, I've always contended the Raw is too long. It's an hour too long, in my opinion. I mean, they can get, they can fill the three hours, but you know, a lot of times they, they're sort of the, 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 the one of those hours is just bogus. Um, they have done a smart thing in terms of they've really amped up, obviously, their women's division, and they have a lot of compelling uh, personalities and athletes in that division. So the They've kind of bailed them out in that division, but uh, you know, I, 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 I sort of, I tape raw. I don't almost, I almost never watch it live, and I fast forward through stuff, and I find myself I fast forward through like an hour twenty of it without even ever just even turning it off. The funny thing about the three-hour raw is that that's mainly at USA's insistence. I think if it were, if it were, which makes sense, of course, right? Because it does, it draws, it's going to draw better than anything on USA generally speaking most weeks but but it's sort of but it's a it's really a minus for them because it's it overexposes people you know that you you especially if you're if you want a hot crowd to sit through a three-hour show and then if they tape other stuff like they have that problem when they tape smackdown you know they have smackdown which is only two hours but then they tape an hour of the 205 cruiserweight show that goes on the network right. and you know that I mean, you would know this better than me is that how, how has that been well received i get the impression not really right it's not really it doesn't seem to be the the most buzzed buzzed about the sort of content play. the for me to me and i don't usually i mean i will admit that i'm not actually usually a wwf watcher i'm sort of I know what's going on, and you know, and you know, I'm a sheet reader and stuff like that. But I generally don't actually watch. Like, I pretty much only watch uh, Lucha stuff now. I really don't watch anything else. But um, Corey, you're very Meltzer-esque. Well, it's well. The funny thing, and again, we're you know, all the stuff that we're talking about is all interrelated. But now, at least three times a week, I can watch um, one of the Mexican companies online because. Their Monday and Tuesday shows, they stream live on YouTube, and then their big Friday night show is streamed on a cable channel website there, and then they put it up later on, on their YouTube channel. So I can watch everything from the... The things that back in the back in the 80s and 90s, when like you had, you had to have tape traders, where people all around the country, you know, send each other everything. It's like... Now it's, you know, New Japan Wrestling has a streaming service where, you know, their big summer tournament is going on right now. So, that you know, that's got all a lot of the, the Internet nerds happy. You can watch Lucha streaming. Most of the, a lot of the bigger independent companies all stream their stuff. So, it's like a lot of stuff. There's so much stuff now that you can afford to be picky if you want. Anyway, back to the your question I, I respect it I'm not into that. that that just goes way deeper than my wrestling stuff I'm very much top line I don't watch New Japan I don't watch the Luchador stuff I certainly respect like it's a, it's interesting to me as a sort of a journalist like 
would be interesting to like talk to these guys just to see how they grind because it's like independent wrestling is not easy. Um, but larger storyline is of the WWE is what sort of captures uh, my attention, and probably that just has to do with the fact that that's just sort of what I watched when I was a kid. But anyway, the, your question was that I think part of the problem with 205 has been they um, they had this tournament last year where they be, where they were they let the guys sort of work a lot more than they're allowed to now. The problem is they have a lot of uh, smaller, high-flying wrestlers, but they're kind of forced to wrestle WWF style. So that doesn't really suit them. And then the people, the people who are familiar with some of these people, especially the international guys, they want them to see them do what they can do, but they're not being allowed to. And you know when you're uh, yeah that's I mean they you know, WWF style you would, or WWE style you'd agree a sort of big guy right I mean sort of it's sort of, it's, a, it's it's big brawny not as much high flying stuff like that generally speaking it's especially in the modern era it's it's very formulaic even even when the matches are good you know I mean wrestling always has a pattern you know it's good guy bad guy and then the comeback and then the finish. But, you know, it's, I, you know, I could go deep on this, but it's, it's very much a, a certain style and working a certain way. And one of the great things that used to be about old school wrestling is that you had people from all over the place and they worked differently. But the problem is now, especially you've got all these guys that are coming through their training center. So they're all learning the same way. So there's, so when you get guys having matches, there's a lot of same as one. They're they're all being taught same as same, and two, they know that they want them to be same as same. They don't, you know, they don't necessarily want a super high flyer unless they only have one. I mean, it's sort of, you know, like when they had Rey Mysterio, they didn't want people doing a lot of the stuff that Mysterio does because that's what Mysterio does. Whereas, of course, you watch Lucha, and you've got, you know, 15 guys all doing very, you know, that are all, generally speaking, high flyers and can do all sorts of crazy things and, and what have you. And yet, it's funny that, and again, you know, the dev, it's to your thing about Brock, the funny thing about Brock is that he used to be a special attraction. And so he was only being used a couple of times a year to try and bump pay-per-view numbers. Well, right. pay-per-view doesn't really exist anymore. It's like they want everybody to subscribe to the network. And so if I'm paying my 9.95 a month, I'm getting whatever the pay-per-view, even though it's I mean, that's, they still call them that, but they're not that anymore really. That, you know, it doesn't make any difference to me if Brock is on the card or not because I'm already paying for it. And I don't think you have people that let their subscription wax and wane depending on the card. They that happened for a while in the beginning where people were only sort of signing up for a month or two right around WrestleMania time and then letting it lapse for another six months. But now it's like they give away so many free subscriptions and you're now allowed to subscribe monthly. There's a, Again, it's a lot of sameness. And, of course, the problem for the guys is people don't get paid, you know, they don't get paid on pay-per-view bonuses anymore because there's no pay-per-view. And there have been a couple of people who have sort of publicly questioned like how we get paid and some of them aren't there anymore because 
you know, there are things you can ask about and there are things you shouldn't ask about and your pay is probably one, and how they figure it out is one of them. That's interesting. Because um, in the, like in the old days, they, they quote unquote paid on the house. That, you know, if we brought in X amount of money and say 30% of that went to the wrestler's pay, but guys knew that if you were in the main event, you probably, and if you were like the champion, you know, you got 10% of the house. That was just sort of the rule of thumb. And then as you went down the card, you pretty much knew what your payoff was going to be. So you knew if you had a sold-out big house, you were probably getting more than if you're running a show and there were only a couple thousand people there. Well, now it's like, who knows? It's like, you know. Guys' pays aren't based on what the network numbers are, so they just sort of they sort of get paid what they get paid, and Vince has they have a certain amount of dates that they probably got to perform, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, and and really, Vince has a monopoly more or less. If you're if you want to be a star or you are a star, well, if you don't like what Vince is doing, what are you going to do? Are you like you're not going to go to are you going to go to TNA? Are you going to go? Are you going to try and make it on the indies? Are you going to try and go to Japan? Now, the, the funny thing about that is there are some guys who are now working as independents because they have a very well-known persona, they're very active on social media, and they sell tons of merch. And they wrestle in the United States and in Mexico and in Japan. So they can make now what sort of like a mid-level... WWF guy is. I mean, Cody Rhodes left a year or two ago, and now he's Ring of Honor champion. He's got, I think, some belt in New Japan that he just won, and he's doing all these indie dates. So he's in demand, and he's getting to do what he what he wants. It's, that's the other thing. It's like, if you want sort of, quote-unquote, creative freedom, you're not going to get that working for Vince. You're going to have to go be a genuine independent contractor. So it's, again, if, if a guy thinks... You know, being artistically creative is more important than just being on national TV every week. Then he can do it, and if you work at it, you can be successful. Right, but it's a it's a harder it's a harder road in terms of sort of becoming famous and making money for sure. Yep, um, Richard, I want to thank you again for doing the show. Uh, thanks for always for coming back. Um, people can get your Sports Illustrated Media podcast. Uh, every place that you get uh, podcasts, it's usually once a week. I know you just had your monthly sports writer business roundtable drop earlier this week. Uh, people can also, as we mentioned, people can listen to you weekly on Bob McCallan's show in Toronto, uh, usually Wednesday or Thursday afternoons. Um, anything else uh, you want to mention? No, no need to promote. I always appreciate the support from you, Mark, so happy to do the podcast. Thank you. Um, and like I said, we are talking to some people about doing more of a Premier League preview in the coming weeks. Hopefully uh, we'll have those shows up. If not, we'll probably fall back to our usual kind of thing. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will talk to you next time.